Well, this is the Gaza Strip right here. You've seen it on the maps, on the news. This is the Gaza Strip in the southwest corner of Israel, right just north of Egypt. It is 224 miles square on a 25-mile stretch of the Mediterranean Sea that stretches inland at the most eight and a half miles. That little strip of land is captivating the whole world right now. But its captivation of the whole world stretches back further than uh, just October the 7th. It, it stretches back a little bit further than that. And somebody asked me, what are you going to say about the Gaza Strip? What does the Bible say about Gaza now? It says the same thing it said about Gaza 50 years ago. There is nothing new under the sun. No prophecy has changed. This is all um, still... Um, the, the Bible doesn't change. So, I want to show you a Bible principle, though, before we um, get uh, started. And we're going to be through a lot of scriptures tonight, but I want to show you one Bible principle uh, that uh, you need to know before you ever start digging into subjects such as Bible prophecy or such as um, incidents like this in Gaza and situations like this. So, Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, and Paul is talking about <clears throat> the gospel, and he's talking about living right and being sensitive to people uh, who need to hear the gospel, and he's telling us and instructing us, you know, be careful about eating meat offered to idols. He says, you don't want that freedom you have to hurt somebody else and keep them from being responsive to the gospel because you ate some meat that was offered to an idol when you didn't have to. And then he says it this way. He really gives a statement that is, is bigger than it appears on the surface. He says, Give no offense neither to the Jews nor to the Greeks, the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And what Paul is saying is, is that there's three groups of people in terms of those who need to hear the gospel, and of course the church is those, those who are saved. But in terms of the prophetic word and God's providential plan for the ages, there's three groups of people. There's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and there's the church. If you're born again tonight and saved tonight, you're of the church. You have heavenly promises. The prophetic word for you is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that teaches us we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And that is what's next on God's timetable. So that's for the church. The church has heavenly promises. Another group of people is the Gentile. That's Hamas. That's Iran. That's America. That's Great Britain. That's anybody who's not Jewish and who's not saved. And the Gentile peoples of the world, they have some prophecies related to them. Matthew chapter 25 speaks to, to uh, those Gentile nations of which we are a part. 
Well, our country is a part. We're a part of the church. But then the group of people that concerns the bulk of Bible prophecy is the Jew. They are the people of the Abrahamic covenant and the people of the Davidic covenant. And they are God's chosen people, as you've heard. They are chosen to be a special people that would bring forth the Messiah, that would have all the covenants and the laws mediated through them to the whole world. They were to be a blessing to the entire planet. And uh, we could talk about the history of the Jewish people and what they've contributed to the world, but we don't have time for that tonight. The Jewish people, in terms of Bible prophecy, there are three things that pertain to the Jewish people. First of all, all Bible prophecy, in terms of the Jewish people, speaks to the land of Israel, the people of Israel, or the Messiah of Israel. Every prophecy from the Old Testament that you read pertaining to the Jew speaks to one of those three categories. And really, they're all related. And you can see it played out through all of history. Matter of fact, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the Gaza Strip. And uh, there's not anybody in here who was alive during World War I. But after World War I, uh, Lord Balfour in England, who was uh, set set to be prime minister, never made it, he declared a Balfour declaration before the British Parliament that gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people as a homeland. So World War I... In 1917, 1918, prepared the land for the people of Israel. World War II came along. The Jew didn't go back to the land until World War II came along. What happened in World War II? The Holocaust. After that, the Jews started going back to the land. And so World War II prepared the people for the land. And World War III prophesied in Scripture this great war coming soon, will be preparing the land and the people for the Messiah. And so all Bible prophecy in terms of the Jew fits under one of those three categories. This one, this, this event, uh, where does Gaza speak to? Well, let's read the scriptures and we'll find out. So you need to know that biblical, biblical truth about the three groups of people, because if you don't, you're going to be reading about a prophetic word in the, in the Scriptures, and it's going to be speaking about the Jew, and you're going to put the church in it, and you're going to mess up. Or you're going to be speaking about the... It's going to be a prophecy for the Gentile nations, which we're going to see tonight, and you're going to put the Jew in it, and you're going to get mixed up. And it's going to be confusing. So you've got to say, who is this Scripture talking to? Who is this passage of text? Who is it talking to in the immediate? And there you have it. And so, that's what we're going to do tonight. Now, with that being said, here is the key principle we all need to know. All the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written to you. You hear what I said? All the Bible is for you, but not all of the Bible is to you. Some of it's to the Jew. Some of it's to the Gentile, but we're the church. And so the scriptures we look at tonight are going to be dealing with mostly the Gentile nations, including uh, what happened in God, what's going on in Gaza. So 
Let's look first of all at the history of Gaza. Let me see. I got right uh, the history of Gaza. Let's see. Can we move it? All right, that's first grade. Then I'm not real good at this. I need a third grader. The history of Gaza. First of all, the history of Gaza in the Word in the Bible. So get your um, notes out, and uh, we're going to look at some of these texts of Scripture, and we won't look at all of them, but I'm going to give some of them to you. This is, this is the uh, times that Gaza is mentioned in the Bible, all right, and uh, most of them in the Old Testament. There's one other, but it's, it's correlated to what he says in Kings, so we didn't put it on the chart. But Genesis chapter 10, verses 15 and 20, have, we have the very first mention of Gaza in the Bible. And it tells us where the descendants of Ham through his son Canaan settled in Gaza, right there on that little corner of Israel. And so Genesis 10, 15 through 20, tells us of the initial settlers after the flood. Remember, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're Jephethites. The Hamites would be people that settled in Gaza and in the south uh, from Gaza. And they, they were the descendants of Ham through Canaan. And then you go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and I do want to read that because that is very, very pertinent uh, for um, uh, what's happening over there now and what will continue to happen and what has happened uh, through the years. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless you and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's the first of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, if you skip over to, uh, let's see, um, chapter 15 of Genesis, God continues and He contributes more to this Abrahamic covenant. And He tells Abraham this in verse 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt, which is what river? The Nile River. Unto the great river, the river Euphrates, which is up there in Iraq. And so God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. Your seed is going to receive the land from the Nile River all the way to the Euphrates River, which includes what is called today by the liberal press, Palestine, and what is called Gaza and uh, other parts of the world over there. And so you have the Abrahamic covenant. That covenant did not go from Abraham to Ishmael. It went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who is the, those are the patriarchs of the Jewish people. And so the land in question is the land that God gave to the people of Israel. Abraham's seed. See the land and the people right there. All right. Now, um, go to Joshua. 
Gaza is kind of quiet in Scripture until we get all the way to the book of Joshua, and uh, we see that um, Joshua chapter 11, old Joshua is um, in the conquest of the land. He's doing a pretty good job, but not a good enough job. He doesn't get it all, and uh, it's caused some problems. But uh, in chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, uh, we are told at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakim. The Anakim were, were a people group who were descendants of Anak. We're not sure where Anak comes from and who he was, but we know that uh, the biblical description of them, their, their physical DNA, they were big people and strong people. And uh, Joshua had to face them. And uh, the Bible says in verse 22 that Joshua took many of their cities, and there was none of the Anakim left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod there remained some. So we know that the sons of Anak, the descendants of Anak, a, a strong race of uh, people, you know, and, and that's not a, a racist thing to say. I mean, you know, you can have a DNA from a people group. You know, all Americans are short, little pot-bellied and bald head. I mean, that's the way we are. You know. But anyway, they were a war-mongering people is what they were. And um, many were defeated by Joshua, but some fled to Gaza, and they merged with the Philistines. And um, 2 Samuel 21 speaks of them going in with the Philistines. Could it be that Goliath was one of these that merged in with the Philistine peoples? Now, uh, Joshua 15 is another text. 15 verse 47 says that when it came time for Joshua to say, Okay, um, Manasseh, you get this land. Okay, uh, you get this land, Benjamin. Okay, you get this land to the twelve tribes of Israel. The tribe of Judah received the land of Gaza. Gaza was allotted to the tribe of Judah. And Judges 1.18 says eventually, it describes the time when, when Judah eventually took Gaza and possessed Gaza. So I'm giving you the biblical history. In Judges chapter 6, now remember what was happening in the book of Judges. Joshua had died. The people were scattered. They were not serving God. They were, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And you would have a, you would have a, a cycle in the book of Judges. It went around about 14 times. And you had uh, the people would uh, sin, and God would judge them by, by sending them an oppressor. And then the people would repent after a number of years, and God would send them a judge, raise up a military leader to lead them out, and they would defeat the enemy. And then they would live in peace for a while with the Lord. And then it would start all over again. Well, that's what's going on in the book of Judges. And during the book of Judges, the Midianites took the region of Gaza. And God raised up one of the most popular, well-known judges to deliver this area from the Midianites. His name was Gideon. All right? And then, 
In Judges chapter 16, we read that Gaza is in trouble again because of sin. And this time, God raises up a judge by the name of Samson. And it is Samson who goes down to Gaza and engages a prostitute. And it is Samson who mingles with the Philistines and runs into, what was the lady's name? Delilah. It is in the area of Gaza, the Philistine cities. And so, we fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 17. During the reign of Saul and David, the Philistines would be great enemies. Now, the Philistines had five cities. All right, they were all city-states, but they had five cities. And I want to give you the names of the Philistine cities. First of all, uh, they had Ashdod. They had Ekron. They had, what were they? Anybody remember? Ashdod, Ekron, it just left me. Ashkelon and Gaza. All right? And so... We have the history of war with the Philistines. It stretches all through Israel's history. Those were their five cities, Gaza being one of the chief cities of the Philistines. So it's a Philistine city during the days of David. Fast forward to 2 Kings 18. After a while in David's reign, he subdued the Philistines. Have you noticed in our journey through 2 Samuel that we haven't seen the Philistines in a while? They just, you know why? Because they've been subdued. David has put them under subjection. He did that early on in his reign. So they're really not a major force. But after Solomon's death, they're going to become a major force. Remember what happened when Solomon died? The kingdom split. And what is it? United we stand, divided we fall. Well, their enemies start kicking up their heels again, and the Philistines are on the rampage again, and they become a major enemy. And those kings in Judah, some good, some evil, have to deal with the Philistines. And eventually, it's way up in Hezekiah's reign, 2 Kings 18, where Hezekiah, in a rebellion against the Assyrians, he's keeping the Assyrians at bay, he has to go and defeat Gaza for strategic reasons, and he defeats the Philistines at Gaza. And then I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 47. Jeremiah chapter 47. And we see another mention of the, of the history of Gaza in the Word. The Word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines. Now, is Gaza a Philistine city? Yes. Before Pharaoh smote Gaza. So at one point in history, Egypt defeated Gaza, the Philistines. Now, it's debated on when he did this. When did Pharaoh defeat Gaza in the Scriptures? I personally think it was in 609 B.C. when Pharaoh ran up north to fight the, Babylon, to, to fight the, the, the Babylonians in, in that threat. I think that's when he took Gaza. And he marched through the land to confront Babylon. And during that march, he took Gaza. That's, that just makes some common sense. And so now, Egypt is in, is in control of Gaza. Now, there's one more text of Scripture I want to show you 
in the, in the um, history in the Word of God, and that's in the prophet Amos. I love Amos. And uh, Amos is my favorite of the minor prophets. In chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, Amos, Amos is a country boy from the south. All right? That's what he is. He's a farm boy. And God calls him to be a prophet in the north. And so he has to leave Judah and go to Israel and preach. And he gets up there and he starts preaching. And he does something, of course the Lord is leading, but he does something that's remarkable. He starts preaching about every Gentile nation around him. And so you've you got to get this. He, he, everybody gathers to hear Amos preach and he's starting to preach and he says, like for example in verse 3, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I'm going to punish them because of what they did. And I can imagine those Israeli Jews in the northern kingdom, they hear Damascus and they start saying, Amen. Amen. They love it when he's preaching about a Gentile nation. But at the end of his message, he says, And for three transgressions and for four unto Israel. And that's when they say, Oh me. And that's when Amos's trouble begins. But in that first message... This is what he says. And if you look at Amos chapter 1, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces, and I will cut off the inhabitant of, from Ashdod, and of him that holds the scepter from Ashkelon, and I will turn mine anger against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. So Amos preaches God's judgment on the people of Gaza, the Philistine city of Gaza, because they invaded into Israeli territory and took hostages in Amos' day. That's what they did. And this time, they sold them to the Edomites. All right? And Obadiah would be the one to preach to the Edomites. And so, you see, does that sound kind of familiar? Kind of familiar. And they were, Amos preached that a hundred years before Jeremiah told him, Pharaoh's going to wipe you out. Pharaoh's going to destroy you. And so Amos spoke of a coming judgment because of their cruelty and their enslavement and their kidnapping. Now, that's the biblical history of Gaza. It seems like to me that you would have this, that, that, that's ancient history. Why would Gaza still be such a concern in the world? Well, I'm glad you asked because not only is uh, there a Gaza, a history of Gaza in the Word, there's a history of Gaza in the world which springs from the Word of God and leads us to where we are tonight. What's going on over there now? So, let me just kind of share with you a little bit of the history of Gaza. And some of you are going to remember this. Well, all of you should remember this. If you watch the news, you'll, you'll remember some of these things. 
not this first thing, but in the 16th century, after back and forth, Gaza was under the control of the Ottoman Empire, the Turks. That's who controlled Gaza. And you fast forward all through the centuries, and you have wars and, and, and back and forth, but eventually the world uh, becomes modern, and it, uh, war is mechanized, and we have a big event called World War I, the war to end all wars. Did that work? No, it didn't work. And so the war to end all wars. After World War I, Gaza fell under what was called the British Mandate. The Brits controlled in their empire what, would be, what was the, is called Israel today, including the Gaza Strip. It was part of the British Empire. And so it was under the British Mandate. By the way, Israel, it was all inclusive with Israel. And by the way, have you ever... Um, let me personal privilege, but have you ever watched the movie uh, Rio Grande with John Wayne? That was on the other night. You need to watch John Wayne movies. You're not going to be able to go to heaven unless you watch John Wayne movies. <laughs> anyway, um, there's a big old sergeant in that movie. He's, he, he, he was also in The Quiet Man. He was, the, he was Marine O'Hare's brother in The Quiet Man, okay? Big man. His last name in real life was McLaughlin, I think. Big, husky man. And he starred in several John Wayne movies. He, in real life, was the commandant under the British mandate in Israel. Kind of interesting. That's, a, that's trivia. You can have that for free. But Gaza, the Gaza area, was under the British mandate until 1948. In 1948... After the Israeli-Arab War, when Israel declared itself a nation and the Arab nations around it uh, were beaten back in a miraculous way, after the Israeli-Arab War, Egypt controlled the newly formed Gaza Strip. So it transferred from the British Mandate, now Egypt controlled it. In 1956, there was a war with Egypt. Israel and Egypt. Israel took the Gaza Strip in 1956. They controlled it. It was theirs again. People thought, oh, the Abrahamic Covenant's being fulfilled. Well, I'm sure, you know, absolutely. But Israel, to keep peace and to settle the region, gave it back. Gave it back. And then... In 1967, there was the Six-Day War. They took control of the Gaza Strip and what is known as the West Bank today. They took control because they said, we can't keep fighting like this. And so we're not going to give it back. In the 1970s, there were Jewish settlements begin to move into the Gaza Strip. And in 1981, in an in a overture of peace, Israel gave up portions of the Sinai. 
And in the Sinai Desert, they took their Jewish settlements, dismantled those settlements, and transplanted those people, their citizens, to Gaza. In the, in, after dismantling the Sinai for the sake of peace. And um, many of the Jewish population relocated there. They decided to live there on the coast. Schools were built. Synagogues were built. Mosques were built. Infrastructure was built. And enhanced uh, infrastructure was enhanced and constructed as Jews and Muslims coexisted in peace and even prosperity. Have you seen the pictures of that city? It's a major, Gaza City is a major city built during this time by Jewish hands. Well, fast forward to December 6th, 1987. December 6th, 1987. An Israeli shopper, somebody was shopping in Gaza, in a Gaza market. And a Palestinian terrorist stabbed him to death. The next day, an accident happened. The very next day, four residents, Palestinian residents of Gaza, were killed in a traffic accident. And the Palestinian authority took advantage of that opportunity and started the, fir- the, the, the infatata, the uprising. And it was a war. And it lasted until September of 1993. And if you remember that period of time, you would turn on the news and you might see um, there was an incident in Israel today, in a border town, in the Gaza Strip, there was an incident. Well, that was during that infatata. That was during that uprising which um, took place in the 90s and was, lasted until September of 93, 80s and 90s. Well, um, a brief period of calm after September of 93 resulted, came about in the Gaza area because the Palestinians and Jewish leaders got together in Oslo. Have you ever heard the term the Oslo Agreement? Well, that's what that was. That was the Palestinian Authority and Jewish leaders sitting together coming to some agreements. And um, it was Israel and an old term that you might remember, the PLO. Palestinian Liberation Organization, led by Yasser Arafat, who died a multi-multi-multi-billionaire while the people of Gaza, the Palestinians of Gaza, scraped and scrimped for food, blaming Israel for their poverty. Hmm, kind of interesting. That's just me, I threw that in. It was agreed that the Jews would withdraw from the Gaza Strip. The Palestinian Authority assumed control of about 80% of the Gaza Strip. However, violence still escalated, and after September of 2000, Israel imposed stricter measures of defense on the Palestinians engaging in prevention of terrorist action. 
So it was give and take. And then an agreement was reached. And on August the 17th, you hear me? August the 17th, 2005. Isn't that amazing? That's not too long ago. Yeah, we were, we were down here saying, oh, that storm's not going to be too bad. <laughs> August 17, 2005, in an effort to promote peace, Israel began to evacuate all Jews from Gaza. It took less than one week. It was expected to take months, but it took less than one week Israel and the Palestinian Authority agreed that the demolition of the residential buildings would be, should take place and the army would begin that process immediately as residents left. In other words, they got the Jews out and then burnt down their, build, their properties. A total of 1,700 families were relocated at a cost of $900 million. Farmers, they were farmers for the most part. At least 15% of Israel's agricultural economy was affected. Yet Israel still supplied electricity, water, telecommunications, and infrastructure help to Gaza, now controlled by the Palestinians. And I, I tell you all that to tell you, folks, this is one-sided. This is one-sided. Um, and so that is nine historical events all the way from the 16th century to August 17, 2005, and the 10th one is October 7, 2023, with what you saw take place. Over 1,400 Jews were slaughtered. And now, many, many Palestinians and also Hamas and Hezbollah, those terrorist groups, will suffer as well, will die as well. Um, let me show you, before I move on to the next point, I want to show you, um, you know what? I have all that written out for you, and I didn't do it. Um, Joel chapter 3, 1 through 3. Let me share with you what, what I think this is really about. Joel chapter 3, 1 through 3. Um. Remember I told you, in terms of the Jew, there's all Bible prophecy centers around three things. The land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the Messiah of Israel. Joel chapter 3 says something that's very interesting. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. That's already taken place. The ultimate fulfillment of that uh, will, is continuing to take place. It, it reached the pinnacle uh, May 14, 1948, when Israel became a nation, but Jerusalem is the Jews returning to the land. I will also gather the nations, all nations, that's the Gentiles, and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will judge them there for my people... And for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Now, Bobby McDuffie, what that means is, is all three of those elements are in that prophetic from, prophecy from Joel. 
I will gather the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Who's going to do that? The Messiah of Israel. This is Matthew chapter 25. I will gather the nations who have scattered my people. The Romans did that in 70 A.D. Threw them out of the land. 135 A.D. they said no Jew allowed in Palestine. No Jew allowed in Jerusalem. Not another Jew stepped foot on the Temple Mount until till um, they uh, took, his, took, took the Temple Mount in 48. Took Jerusalem, in, I'm sorry, in 67. And so that's the people of Israel and the land of Israel. And they parted my land. They started going back to the land after World War II. And now we see the Gentile nations parting their land. You see... America has always had the stance, and you hear it on the news all the time, of a two-state solution. Have you heard that phrase? A two-state solution. What that is, is that's, this, that's what Joel was talking about. They divided my land. Now, the Jews themselves, many will say, I am for a two-state solution. Well, they had a two-state solution. Palestinians said they want a two-state solution. Well, they had one. Gaza was another state. Look what they've done. And the goal, the ultimate goal from the UN and almost every single American president since Truman, the goal has been we need to divide Jerusalem. We need to have a Palestinian section, we need to have a Jewish section, and the rest of it under UN control. That's the ultimate goal. That's, what, that's how you solve this problem over there, so to speak. And so Joel prophesies that, and he says, I'm going to bring the nations, the Gentile nations, to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I'm going to judge them there. And I believe it's the sheep and goat judgment of Matthew 25. I'm going to judge them there for parting my land and dividing my land. And so that's really what it's all about. Gaza is huge. Gaza is... is where the hot spot is right now, but I want to tell you folks, the goal is Jerusalem. And the goal is not a two-state solution from the terms of Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran. The goal is no Jew left on the face of the earth. That's what they say. They, they, they don't lie about it. They don't lie about it. And so, um, don't be fooled. When the media talks about occupied territory, God gave that property to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And go back, I think they're on YouTube. Remember, right after COVID, we preached a series on Bible prophecy. I preached a sermon called The Weeping Boy of Jerusalem. It's on YouTube. And it's basically who owns the land of Israel. And I'll tell you how, in that we detail the history of how the, the Jews purchased, bought that with money and blood, and defense, uh, that property. You can go back and find that, that message on our YouTube station. But uh, that's the history of Gaza. And so that's what led up to what we see happening today. It all started way back yonder in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, and then August 17, 2005, we said, we'll have peace, we'll let you have this area. And what did they do? They dug tunnels. And they set up missile sites, and they build rockets in their garages. And they, they've attacked Israel many, many times. And to last Saturday, it just got worse. 
So, so what? That's what's happening. So what? What about the horizon for Gaza? What does the Bible say is going to happen to Gaza? Well, in the world right now, tonight, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to Gaza. This thing could be over in, in, in a matter of a couple of years. Uh, I don't know. Netanyahu could get up and say we've come to some agreement and people are going to be brought to justice. I don't know. Let's be very careful that we don't put our you know, subjective thoughts into it. The Bible teaches, teaches us uh, what's going to happen to Gaza. These things, I'm certain they play into it. But uh, let's just be very careful and not bring something into the Scripture that's not there. Let's bring the Scripture to, and apply it to what's going on. And so, first of all, I don't know how this is going to play out. Uh, I, I personally feel like it's going to expand. I think it's going to expand. I think Hezbollah is going to get involved. I think we might, America might even get more involved. Um, and uh, how long it will last, I don't know. But I do know it's going to stop one day. It is going to come to an end. So take your Bibles and turn to Zephaniah chapter 9. Do I need to sit down and let you find Zephaniah? Uh, Zephaniah chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter um, 2. Zephaniah chapter 2, 1 through 7. Zephaniah. I tell you what, go to the index. If you got a hard copy of the Bible, if you, know, if you got one of the phones or iPad, you can just find it right there. Go to the index. You got it? Zephaniah. Yeah, there you go. Malachi and back up three books. Have you ever heard a sermon preached from, Malachi, uh, from Zephaniah? Well, I preached a few from there. So the horizon for Gaza in the world, I just don't know how this particular incident is going to play out, this war. I think it's going to, of course, they can't, they can't finish this. I think it's very sad that you have the Arab countries bemoaning the death and the coming death, but yet they won't open up their borders. Egypt won't open up its borders. I think that's very sad. But uh, anyway, Zephaniah, listen to this. Gather yourself together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree, bring forth, before the day pass like the shaft, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, who have kept ordinances, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The Cherethites were a group of people who were of uh, Philistine uh, origin, and they, uh, they were, some of them were servants of David. Uh, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. I will even destroy thee, and there shall be no inhabitant. 
And the seacoast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. Judah's going to get it back. They shall feed there in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down in the evening for the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. And then go to chapter 3 and verse 8. Therefore wait upon me, says the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of jealousy. That hadn't happened yet, by the way. Now some would say, well, this was fulfilled when Babylon took Israel and Judah. Well, let me share something with you about Bible prophecy. There's two things. Sometimes a Bible prophecy that you read about will have an immediate fulfillment. Brother Wilfred, it'll have something that's going to happen that's, that's already taken place, yet at the same time it alludes to something that's in the future. It's called the near and the far. Okay? And this is what we have here. Because if you read it close, when was Gaza a desolation? It has been occupied since the days of the judges. It has been occupied since the days of Genesis. So this is a future event that's going to take place, and Gaza will be desolate, and the Jew will have Gaza again. Now, they don't have it tonight. Now, you say, well, I could see where Israel's going to win this and get Gaza. You know what? It could be. We might wake up one day and Benjamin Netanyahu has surrender papers and, and uh, the war's over and he says, by the way, we got Gaza again and we're not giving it back. That could be the case. But I want to share something with you. Remember the first text we looked at, the Jew, the church, and the Gentile. Remember that? That's very important. These prophecies relate to the Jew. When these Old Testament prophets gave their prophetic word for the far future, they did not see the church. It was like they were standing on one mountain peak and looking at another mountain peak, which is the second coming of Christ. And they didn't see the church in the valley in the middle. The prophets, according to 1 Peter, know nothing about the church. All they see is in terms of the Jew. And so these sometimes are tribulation promises, and they all they make reference to the revelation of Jesus Christ when He comes back. Our promises are heavenly. The next thing on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. How many of you remember my hook'em horns theology? Anybody? You remember that, Glenn? You remember it? You get Church Member of the Year Award. All right, let me show you how it works out. You ready? Look at this. You can do your hands this way if you want. This is, this is the nutshell. Here's the church age. This is where we are right now. We gathered in here on Wednesday night in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, teaching the Bible, fellowshipping, you know. And then one day, that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation 4.1, the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The cemetery is going to empty of, its, of the saints of God. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture of the church. That's my index finger. And we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And that's, that's, that's next. 
It's imminent. I don't know when. I hope it happens tonight. No, 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 no. I, w- I want to get my caramel ice cream tonight. <laughs> then this And then you have what Revelation 6 through 19, Daniel 70th week. Jeremiah refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. We've seen a lot of uh, the war uh, being prophesied in Scripture tonight. That's the tribulation. And two knuckles. It's in half. And then the Lord returns to earth. That's what the prophets saw. Prophets didn't see this. They saw this. That's what Zephaniah saw. And so what we see happening in Gaza tonight does not point to the rapture of the church. It points to this. So if you say, wow, the rapture's near. Look what's happening in Gaza. Well, you're right, but back it up seven years. It's sooner than you think. You follow me? And so that's what the prophets saw. And so the Word of God teaches that Gaza will be desolate. It will be vacated, I believe. I'm just going to say flattened. That's that Hebrew word that is a very strong word. I just believe it's going to be flattened. I mean, it's going to be desolate. Whether it's going to happen now or in the tribulation, I don't know. But it's going to be flattened, and one day the Jew will be back in it and rebuild it. That's what Zephaniah teaches us. And Zephaniah tells us, I'm going to judge the nations for this. I'm going to judge the nations for this. Uh, H.A. Ironside, who I like, says, This is all a picture of the time of the end. Now, H.A. Ironside's been with the Lord many years, but he says, This is all a picture of the time of the end. Judah then will be much in the position she occupied in Zephaniah's day, in the land surrounded by enemies, a feeble remnant crying, How long, O Lord? You know, Brother Larry, who I admire the most when it comes to commentators, are these old boys like H.A. Ironside who didn't see the things we saw. They weren't, they weren't talking about Israel becoming a nation in 1993 like I was. They were talking about Israel becoming a nation in 1933 when it was nothing, but yet they believed the Word of God. In the 1800s. Yes. Yes. Amen. Wonderful. Now, let's look at one more thing. Let's look at the hope of Gaza. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're almost done. I know it's late. Acts chapter 8. Well, it's not too late. Acts chapter 8. You remember when old Philip, the deacon, was preaching, evangelizing, and God sent him to Samaria. Of all places, the Samaritans. He's preaching to the Samaritans. And they're being saved in mass. Churches are getting started, man. It's a wonderful experience. And all of a sudden, God comes to him and says, Philip, leave and go to the south. Where did God tell him to go? What does chapter 8, verse 26 say? Arise, go toward the south under the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. Philip preached the gospel in Gaza to that Ethiopian eunuch. And that man was saved and went through Gaza, down that Gaza Strip, down into Egypt, into Ethiopia, and started churches that are in existence to this day. And I want to share something with you. That's the heart of God for Gaza, is the gospel. 
just think of what the gospel could have done and how it could have prevented some of this. If that first Hamas soldier had heard the gospel and given his life to Christ before he ever wore that flag. Just think about that. Well, that's the hope, is the gospel. That's why we're doing Who's Your Mission? That's why we're going to start emphasizing again a little more hot and heavy. We've got to start winning souls. If you believe Jesus is about to come back, there's two things you're going to do. You're going to purify yourself to be ready for the Lord, and you're going to proclaim the gospel so others will be ready for the Lord and be on mission. Uh, it's wonderful. Let me show you one more text. Can I show you one more text? Go to the prophet Zechariah. All right. Go to Zechariah. Now, if you go, if you go to, to, to Malachi, back up one. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. Um, the burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus shall be at rest when the eyes of man as of all the tribes of Israel shall be toward the Lord. And Hamath also shall border by it, Tyre and Sidon, though it be very wise. And Tyre did build herself a stronghold and heaped up silver like the dust and fine gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out and he will smite her power in the sea and she shall be devoured with fire. Ashkelon shall see it and fear. So Ashkelon's going to look at Tyre, see God's judgment on Tyre, and they're going to be afraid. Gaza shall also see it and be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for her expectation, shall be ashamed, and the king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. Now, the, the Bible gets very graphic here. And a bastard shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. And I will take away his blood out of his mouth and his abominations from between his teeth. But he that remaineth, even he, shall be for our God, and he shall be like a governor in Judah and Ekron like a Jebusite. And I will encamp about my house because of the army, because of him that passes by, and because of him that returns. And no oppressor shall pass through them any more, for now have I seen with mine eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt and the foal of an ass. Verses 1 through 7 of this text was fulfilled when Alexander the Great conquered the world. He conquered Tyre. The fear of the smaller cities, Gaza, saw it, and they were afraid and they were petrified because they saw what Alexander had done to Tyre. They saw it. And God, by the hand of Alexander, would destroy these cities. Now, they were taken. And what Alexander did is he didn't leave it desolate. What he did was a fulfillment of verse um, uh, 6. He took, forgive me, but he took, quote-unquote, bastards, other peoples from other parts of his empire, transplanted them into Gaza, in the Philistine cities. And so he put a foreign people in that city. 
The Assyrians did the same thing. That's how we got the Samaritans. And so they, they populated it to, to keep confusion, and, and it, was, it was just part of what they did. And um, the citizens of those cities were made slaves. The only historical record of Scripture of Alexander conquering of the four Philistine city minus Gath. You notice Gath is not mentioned? And a lot of people say Gath never, never overcame um, what Babylon had done. And so the only historical record outside of Scripture is about what Alexander the Great did to Gaza. Isn't that amazing? And the record states that after the city fell, Alexander the Great rode in, took their king, the Gazan king, tied him to a chariot wheel and dragged him through the streets uh, throughout the city until he died. God declared he would cut off the pride of the Philistines and he humbled that king. Verse 8, And I will encamp about my house because of the army. What is it? Well, tell me what's the house of God back then? The temple. Well, what does that mean? Well, God said He would not allow Alexander the Great or anybody else at that time to take Jerusalem. When the high priest at the time, his name was uh, Jedua. When Jedua the high priest heard that Alexander the Great was just right there on the horizon of Jerusalem. He rode out to meet him. He rode out to meet him. And before he left, he ordered the people to pray. Pray for peace. And he took courage. And he went to meet Alexander the Great. When he got there, he was in his, his priestly garments, and Alexander the Great bowed down to the ground. Can you imagine that? A guy whose last name is the Great, bound down to you. <laughs> Alexander the Great. And the priest escorted him into the city, and the people greeted him, and they honored him. And he went up into the temple, and he said, I want to sacrifice to your God. And the priest gave him instruction. Now, that was not Levitical law, but I mean, that's what they did. And they let him sacrifice, and they told him how to do it. And then one of the priests took the old parchments of the book of Daniel, and they showed him Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and the little horn, and the big horn, and Daniel's prophecy. And they said, Sir, this is you. And Alexander was so moved, he left the city intact, he left the temple intact, and he gave favors to Jerusalem. Just like God had said by the prophet Zechariah, because he passes by, I'm going to let him pass by. I'm going to let him pass by and no oppressor is going to come through. So it was only a partial fulfillment though. Somewhere between the, let's see, in verse 8, um, it says, because of him that returns, you got a semicolon. And then and, no oppressor. Somewhere between that semicolon and and is thousands of years of history. And basically, uh, Jerusalem has been oppressed and has been subjugated many times. Rome, etc. But verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter 
of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king comes. So, that's what's happening in Gaza. That's a biblical, I hope a biblical perspective. I hope it answers some of your questions. And um, I'm not going to say much more than that because there's not much more to say. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, it's awful. I just can't believe the inhumanity. I mean, it's, it's just awful. Nothing like this since the, the Holocaust. And, and you know, I, I want to tell you, I, I, I was watching a commentator on the news, and, the, you know, they're calling these people animals. And, and one guy said, I'm not going to call Hamas animals because it would belittle the animals. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't have a problem with that. that. That's tough language. But I want to share something with you. Germany was the most cultured, educated, oriented nation of the world in the 1930s when the Holocaust began. It has nothing to do with how a person lives in swallow or in opulence. It has to do with a hatred of God and His Word, and hence His people. That's it. And what troubles me more about this, I just, I just can't get over it, is how long it took for those in our country to already start blaming the Jew. Blaming. It was, it, I, I told Tracy, when, when we saw it, I told Tracy, I said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to go on about two or three months and then they're going to start blaming Israel. It wasn't, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't overnight. It was hours. And I said, boy, I miss that. I miss that. Do you think it goes back to Jacob and Israel? I, sure, yeah. I think, I think it goes back to... Sure, absolutely. You know, that, that Edomite hatred uh, of Esau and Jacob. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what they teach. I don't know what is in their minds or there's something they won't accept about Israel. Yeah. And I felt, always felt like that was God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. But they don't talk about it. No, no, I I don't know what they you know. Of course, they brainwash them to teach them. You know, remember remember the term. What was the great Satan? The United States. States. Who started that term? Iran, nineteen seventy nine. Now who who's who's in the middle of all this now? Iran. You know, I mean, it's just just how it is. So, anyway, well, thank you all for coming tonight. I hope that helps you. I hope you've got something you can talk to some people about. Remember, folks, the mission of the church doesn't change. War, peace, comfort, pizza, or steak, it doesn't change. We're to to be gospel-oriented people and share Christ.